We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. The following episode contains references to suicide and self-harm. Hi guys, my name is Rick Weary and uh, I uh, was born and raised in Utah, USA on a, on a little farm community and um, I'm just happy to be here because uh, I want to share my story and where my story really starts is after I married my wife and we had been married for one year, I had a construction accident. See, we were working on this house and um, me and my wife joined this program called Self-Help Housing. And um, I was working late one night and working with my friend Zach. And what happened is, is I was building a wall and I ended up... Uh, nailing the last stud on the wall and I shot a nail into my thumb kind of crazy you know but I was a tough guy and so I told my friend that I was with to go ahead and pull the nail out and so as he was pulling it out I started like looking at my hand and I started to go lightheaded so my initial reaction was to go get a drink of water. So I started walking across the floor to get a drink of water. And I just happened to pass out. And I tipped over, fell from the main floor into the basement on, on the top of my head even. And, uh, you know, I, I hit right here on the top of my head and I broke my neck at... C6, C7 vertebrae. Now, if you break your neck, um, the higher up you break the neck, the more disabled you are, so to speak. And where I particularly broke my neck was pretty high at the C6, C7 vertebrae. And what the results of that was is I became a quadriplegic and uh, I became paralyzed from my chest down. Um, I have some use of my arms, but my hands are completely paralyzed. I want to share with you kind of um, a friendship I had growing up that just kind of gives a, a light into my story. I have a best friend, his name's Bobby. And uh, we had went to high school together and played all sports you could play you know he, he played basketball and football together and I played baseball I was very athletic could do just about anything well um, in my culture uh, when we graduate from high school you have the opportunity to go serve a mission for my church where you go teach people about my religion but you can't do that until you're 19 and so I had a little period of time between graduating high school and waiting to go. And my friend Bobby and I, we all of a sudden just picked up this sport called golf. And uh, we, uh, we became very competitive. 
And I remember we'd go every day. We just, we were living like the easy life, not like no responsibility yet. And Bobby and I would go golfing every day at noon. And one day um, he couldn't go. And so I decided I was going to go by myself. And we went, I went golfing and, and I went, uh, there's this one hole where you hit off of a cliff and the hole's down off the cliff. And so I got up to hit and I hit the best shot I've ever had. You know, it was like perfect. It was like 10 feet from the hole. And I was really excited, you know, and, and uh, my knee jerk reaction was to look back because Bobby had been with me so, so much through this, you know, like uh, this was our journey together. And I wanted to share that experience with him. You know, um, we were very competitive. I almost wanted to like rub it in, but he wasn't there. And so what's kind of unique and why I thought about this story is because like um, golf, it wasn't about the golf. It was about the relationship with Bobby and the joys that we shared together, you know, and uh, that was, uh, you know, that's, that's just a look into my life before I broke my neck. Before I broke my neck, I didn't know the difference. I just assumed everybody in a wheelchair was the same. And, and uh, so I, I talked earlier about where you break your neck, the severity of your disability. And um, I, I didn't know very many people. I just assumed, oh, he's in a wheelchair. He's paralyzed. I didn't realize some people might be paralyzed from the chest down and some people from the waist down. And that's a big, it's a big difference. It's hard to put someone in a wheelchair in the box of you're in a wheelchair because, you know, not everybody has the same disability. And post-injury, after I broke my neck, um, I found that very hard challenge to not compare myself to the next person in a wheelchair and the next person because they have different struggles. And first off, they have different abilities and functions based on if they broke their back or their neck or whatever. So I remember um, riding in the ambulance I, uh, I, I passed out when I broke my neck and then woke up just in the basement. So we had to put me on a stretcher and ride in the ambulance. And that's when I really, uh, got a little bit scared. I remember telling my friend Zach that I couldn't feel my legs. I didn't even think about my arms, you know, but I do remember telling him I couldn't feel my legs, but I was strapped to a board so I couldn't use my arms anyways. I remember the real um, hard part of it is I remember just to kind of paint a picture. I was laying in a bed, um, in a hospital bed in the ICU, and I went to scratch my nose. And as I went to scratch my nose, the muscle that holds your your hand in the sky, the my tricep muscle, was paralyzed, and I my hand just rested on my nose. And I remember looking down at my arms and the atrophy 
of sitting, of laying in a hospital bed for a couple of weeks, no exercise, no nothing. And I just looked and saw my body just basically shrivel away, you know. And I remember one very frustrating thing was when I, uh, my wife, she wanted to help me check my voicemails in my, on my phone. And I needed to type in a four digit passcode. She was like, just tell me the code. But I guess I kind of skipped over that. When I was in the ICU, I was put on a trachea, meaning I had to breathe through a hole in your neck. So, so you couldn't speak. So I was trying to portray to my wife the four-digit passcode of my voicemail and just the struggle of her trying to read my lips because I had no voice was just so frustrating. And I just remember really feeling very down. Um, and where it all changed from me, for me, um, was shortly after I went to the ICU, I got the opportunity to go to rehab unit. So I was uh, in there and nurses would come and it's just a way to kind of transition your life back to what's going to happen when you go home. So um, I'm laying in the hospital bed and a nurse comes up to me. She uh, came into my room with a red marker and a calendar. And she said to me that anytime you do something today that you couldn't do yesterday, we're going to write it down in red letter days. And so I took that thought as like a challenge. So I'm going to try to get something that I can be proud of that I can write on this calendar. Back then, a red letter day was something as simple as will in my wheelchair to the end of the hall without help or being able to sit up to the side of my bed for long enough to, you know, just talk or have a conversation with somebody. And that was a workout. That was a challenge for me to sit up to the side of my bed for five minutes. And so I just, this concept was like slowly digging myself or, or you know, like the, the new beginning. And so I just, it was important for me to, at that time, come up with things that I couldn't do before. So that day in the hospital, you know, the concept of red letter days, it shortly faded away. And then I came home and started transitioning into what my life was going to be like. And I really wasn't a happy person. I remember, and I'm, I'm sorry to, I hate to tell this story, you girls, but um, I just feel like it's so much a part of who I am and how I became who I am today. Um, there was a time where I was so depressed. I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted my will to live was just so low. And so I thought about, you know, committing suicide and my plan, what I came up with is I was going to push my wheelchair into a canal and I was going to, you know, uh, I was going to, that would be the end of my story. But 
what was kind of divine about it is I didn't think I could get up this hill and across this little path to get to the canal. I didn't have the stamina to push my wheelchair that far. So I looked at that as a, my first challenge. How am I going to get up this hill? And so I slowly just started pushing to the end of the street. And then the next day I pushed up to the bottom of the hill. And the next day I pushed a little higher up the hill. Well, I didn't, you know, I, you know, obviously I didn't push myself into the canal. But that day that I decided, you know, this was going to be it. When I got to the top of the hill, I looked down at the bottom and I looked at myself like I, I looked at that as a as an accomplishment. I just did something that I couldn't do yesterday. And I remembered that nurse and that concept of red letter days. So instead of pushing myself into the canal that day, I pushed myself around the block. And then I, when I got home, my wife was sitting on the doorstep and she was so proud of me. She was like, you, you just willed like a quarter of a mile. That's so awesome. You know, and, and I started to realize that this was going to be my way out, that I could um, try to always build on that concept, do something today that you couldn't do yesterday. And so that slowly, very slowly started disappearing. The, the suicidal thoughts and everything started disappearing. And they started being replaced by, what can you do that, and then I always say this, for lack of a better term, what can you do that will make your mama proud of you? You know, and so that's been my challenge in my second life is, what can I do being in a wheelchair that will make somebody proud of me or will be an inspiration to someone else? My religion, I've always been taught of God's love for us. Um, that's probably one of the main concepts in my religion is that God loves us, you know. And and I've I've uh, learned that no matter what or who I am or what I accomplishment, what I accomplish is God is like like my cheerleader. He wants me to succeed. He wants the very best for me. And where I really kind of grasped that concept is when I had kids um, seven years ago, eight years ago now, they're eight. Uh, I had twin boys with my wife. Um, their names are Grayson and Berkeley. And you see them struggle, right? You, I mean, as a, as a parent, you see your kid try to walk and fall. And I realized that this might have been my fall, you know, and my figure, my not my literal fall, but like this is like something that will help me strong, get, get stronger. And God couldn't take that away. Like, uh, you know, like life happens, accidents happen, but it's just preparing us for something better. We can pursue happiness. And what I mean by that is everybody whether you're in a wheelchair or not, you want to pursue happiness. And um, so, for instance, uh, 
I still play sports. Sports was a big thing about my, about in my life. And the only thing that has changed is I still play sports. I still, uh, I play a sport called wheelchair rugby, a cycle. The only thing that's really changed is, um, I just need an adaptive tool or a wheelchair or a different kind of bike. Um, I look for anybody to challenge me on something I can't do and I'll find a way whether, whether it be adapted or, um, with help even that I can do it, you know, if I could have my uh, legs back, absolutely I would, but I, I've wasted too much time on that question. You know, I realized that, um, there's a popular saying in my culture, uh, come what may and love it. Um, you know, I mean, this is my circumstance and, but absolutely, I'd, I, I, uh, I would, you know, love to be able to walk again and, uh, everything, but I'm just, ha I'm just happy the way I am. You know, there's, there's times where I feel like a normal person, you know, when I say normal person, but there's times where I don't think about my, uh, paralysis or being in a wheelchair. You know, I have a hand cycle, and uh, when I'm riding on that, uh, man, it's so much fun. I, I just don't think about what happens when I bring that bike back home and I get into my wheelchair. I feel like I'm walking. I feel like I'm flying. Honestly, what gives me hope for the future is, I guess, my posterity, what I leave behind. Um Today at three o'clock, uh, my kids will come from home from school and they'll probably want to play basketball in the driveway, you know, and, and that's what brings me happiness is my family. And uh, that's what brings me hope for the future. Um, I also am very excited about sharing my story. I feel like um, people can can take that little concept that I that I formed earlier red letter days do something today that you couldn't do yesterday and they can they can in some way whether they're in a wheelchair or not think of how can i better myself how can i better the people around me uh my satisfaction if you if i had to rate my happiness scale satisfaction in life on a one to ten would absolutely be ten i can't complain i have um, a roof over my head have a dinner at the table and um, I just have someone who loves me and who I love. Subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast. You can also check out our website culturallyspeaking.co.uk for a transcript of this episode. Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.